Thank you for downloading this sermon brought to you by the preaching ministry of Liberty Baptist Church of Las Vegas, Nevada, Dr. David Tice. For more sermons in both audio and video format, we encourage you to visit experienceliberty.com. Also, for a word of encouragement, insight, and biblical inspiration, follow Pastor David Tice's blog at davidtice.com. So without further ado, let's open our hearts to the Word of God. You make church better, and you being here today made church a great place to be. And I, I know we've got several guests with us today. doesn't matter where you're from. This is a place that loves you, and uh, we're so glad that you chose to be in our services with us today as we worship Jesus Christ, our Savior. If you have your Bibles, open them up to the book of 2 Kings, chapter number 6. 2 Kings, chapter number 6. I think it's important that we tell people how glad we are that they are here I was last night, I, I went to a restaurant, and I like when I get good customer service when I go to a restaurant, don't you? I like when they're happy that I'm there rather than annoyed that I am using their services. Our son Luke went to a lacrosse game down at the Mandalay Bay with some of our church family, and they went, so Luke, our nine-year-old, went with them. So we just had our two teenage daughters, and we said, okay, girls, you all go wherever you want. And we live in such a place of abundance. Don't you love Las Vegas? You can go anywhere and get any type of food. Do you want to get Greek food? No, we don't want to get... Do you want to get Thai food? No, Japanese food? No, Chinese food? No, Italian food? We had almost crossed the entire United Nations before we landed on Mexican food <laughs> last night. And so we went to uh, a Mexican restaurant. And we got some great food together. And it's so wonderful because you can get anything you want almost at any time you want here in the city of Las Vegas. But if you will remember, three years ago this week, that wasn't the case. Do you remember three years ago this week? Three years ago this week, I remember on Sunday afternoon before our evening church service began, our governor put a proclamation asking everybody to uh, go home and close everything down for two weeks. And those two weeks would flatten the curve. You remember these words? And I don't remember what it was like for you, but it was kind of shocking for me. I remember on the Sunday night after church, we would always stop at the Albertsons at Ann and 95. It's kind of our, our family tradition. Sunday night after church, we stop and we might get a few snacks to go home, get some popcorn or whatever, and we watch a movie, usually on Sunday nights as a family. And so we were walked in there, and as soon as we walked in there, we realized everything was different that night, that Sunday night. The aisles, every single one of the uh, cash registers was open, a place that will have maybe 10 or 12 different cash registers. All of them had multiple people in line. And we picked out our few items, you know, about $20 worth of items, but back then filled up a cart. Today you get a gallon of milk. So we, we picked out a, a small cart full of things, and um, we were standing in line and just kind of talking with folks, and there was a concern on everybody's mind. Do you remember that? The guy in front of me was pushing a cart and pulling a cart full of stuff. And I was wondering how much his total would be. It was about $1,300 he spent. And he was just piling up, piling up resources because there was a legitimate concern three years ago. If you remember, three years ago, just three years ago, we didn't know what this thing was. Are we in the middle of a zombie apocalypse? Is it all going to end? We don't have toilet paper. Do you remember what it was like? Do you remember what it was like? And, and then the stores would close down. I remember uh, about a week later, we needed a few supplies, and I went to Walmart. I had to drop somebody off 
I, I was doing a, a run someplace. I think it was an airport run. They hadn't shut down the airlines yet. And I dropped somebody off at the airport, and I came back, and I said, well, I'll stop at Walmart. And Walmart was having just limited hours at that time, and I got there at 5 o'clock in the morning, and there was a line of about 40 people outside at 5 o'clock in the morning. And I thought, okay, for sure, I have to be here now because I don't want to miss this. And went inside and spent, you know, $50, $60 worth of things because it was just a different time. It was a time of perceived famine. In the story that we're going to read from the Word of God today, the lesson is entitled, From Famines and Feasts. All of us understand, if you were alive three years ago, that tension, that difficulty, what's going to happen? What is this thing? How are we working through it? But most of you last night were in a similar position to me, where you weren't concerned about where your next meal was coming from. In fact, most of us last night had multiple options for what we would or what we would not eat. And the problem was not what was available, but how much time we wanted to wait to get that, right? Do I want to go to a place where I get fast food or I sit down? It wasn't necessarily what was available, but that which would be convenient. In the scriptures here in 2 Kings chapter 6, we see the entire nation of Israel go through famines, go through feasts, and go through those ups and downs of life. And all of us have those. Right now in your marriage, you might be in a really strong season. Like, we're, we're happy to be married. We like being married. This is good. We, we would get married again if we had to, if there was an opportunity. And some of you in your marriages might be in a season where it's like, we, we're not going to get a divorce, but we've considered murder. Because <laughs> it's just not a strong season. Sometimes in our walk with God, we're in the same situation, aren't we? Sometimes our walk with God is vibrant and strong, and we sing songs like, the Lord is good and faithful. And we sing it, and it's, oh man, this is so good. This is just what I needed. It's strong. And oh Lord, I'm just praising you today. And then sometimes you come in and you're singing and you're just, I don't even know why I'm here. Have you ever been there? Where your walk with God is in a, a famine. And then sometimes your walk with God's in a feast. So I don't know where you are in your walk with God, in your marriage, in your life circumstances today. But what we see from this portion of scripture, the very word of God is that there are four timeless truths, regardless of where we are in a time of feast or a time of famine, that don't change, are immutable. They, you, you can't break these four things. And I want you to see them in scriptures. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 2 Kings chapter 6, in verse number 8. The Bible says this, Then the king of Syria warred against Israel. And he took counsel with his servants, saying, In such and such a place shall be my camp. We talked about this a few weeks ago, but this is a map of around 800 or so B.C. In 800 B.C., the world's first world empire was evolving. And what you see in this map, from the, the dark green to the lighter green, is the, the aggression and the growth of the Syrian empire at this time. If you've ever watched the World War II documentaries and seen how Hitler goes into France and he goes into Poland and he goes into Belgium and the neighboring countries and he starts to expand his Third Reich, that was nothing new. It had been practiced for millennia before him, but the first person to do it were the Assyrians. 
The Assyrians were advancing their empire, and rather than being content just to be strong and trade and have good neighbors, they wanted to subdue other kingdoms and make them part of their empire. But for the last few decades, as they've been growing by the time of the writing of 2 Kings chapter 6, every time they come to this nation called Israel, they just hit a roadblock. They just hit a roadblock. They just hit a roadblock. They're not able to defeat it. And the reason is, is because Israel isn't like every other nation. Israel is the prince of God. Israel were God's chosen people. They've not been everything they're supposed to be. In fact, many times they've been disobedient. And many times they have violated God's word. But they are living off the residual blessings of God's promise to them. And so the Syrians are frustrated as they're trying to expand their nation. As they come up against Israel, they just keep meeting disappointment and defeat over and over again. And in verse number 8, the Bible tells us that the king of Syria, he says, okay, this time we're going to do it. He wars against Israel, and he took counsel with his servants. So they're plotting out how they're going to defeat Israel once and for all. He says, okay, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go hide over here, behind this rock, behind this bush, behind this mountain, around this valley. In such and such a place shall my camp be. The Bible says in verse number 9 that the man of God, the man of God at this time, is named Elisha. We were introduced to Elisha several weeks ago because our study, Tomorrowland, follows the trajectory of a man who says, I'm not content with the way my country is. I'm not content with the way my culture is. I'm not content for things just to go along without somebody making a difference. I believe there's a God, and by his grace and through his power, I'm going to stand for God in my generation. Oh, and Elijah does. Elijah sees the outpouring of God's blessing in his life, and the miracles of God are abundant in his life. And when it's time for him to transition into heaven, he brings along an apprentice whose name is Elisha. And all the wonders of Elijah were vast and numerous, but when Elisha comes on the scene, it doubles in power. The work of God expands to an unprecedented way. So in verse number 9, when the Bible tells us the king of Syria is going to plot and he's going to hide and say, we're going to get those Israelites this time, the Bible says in verse number 9 that God tells Elisha what the Syrians are doing. And over and over and over again, the Syrian, he's going to go get them this time. He hides. He's, he's behind the speaker. And as he's behind the speaker looking for a place to hide, God tells Elisha, the king of Syria is behind the speaker. And God gives Elisha a messenger. The messenger goes to the king of Israel and says, he's behind the speaker. So the king of Israel goes every place else but behind the speaker. And over and over and over again, the Syrian king is just like, what's going on? In fact, he becomes so frustrated, he gets his inner counsel, his closest allies together. And he says, is it you? You're the traitor. You're the traitor, aren't you? And all of his allies are like, it's not me. It's not me. I didn't do it. My lips are sealed. It's not me. The Bible tells us that God demonstrates who it is. In verse number 12, the Bible says, one of his servants said, none, my Lord, none of us are doing this, my king, but Elisha, the prophet, 
The, the prophet that is in, Israel, is in Israel, he telleth the king of Israel all the words that thou speakest in thy bedchamber. Talk about a violation of privacy. God's telling Elisha what's going on in the Syrian king's bedchamber. Have you ever gotten an ad on your phone for something that you were just talking about? Ooh, the algorithms will get us. Much more strong than any algorithm is the power and presence of God. And God is revealing the secrets of the one who's plotting the demise of his people. And so the Syrian king says, that's it then. We're going to stop going after the Israelite king. We're going to go kill Elisha. And they come down to kill Elisha. And as they come down to kill Elisha, Elisha looks at him and says in verse number 18, when they came down to him, Elisha prayed unto the Lord. And he said, smite this people. Would you, Lord, all these people are trying to kill me. Would you smack them? That's what the word smite means. Would you smack them? And would you smite these people? What kind of smacking do you want? Could you give them a blindness smack? And we don't know if it's hundreds, we don't know if it's thousands of soldiers that come down to kill this minister of God who's defenseless except that he has the biggest armament ever, the power of God on his side. He smites them with blindness. And the Bible tells us he smote them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. So now there are hundreds, perhaps thousands of soldiers that are standing there blind. They're vulnerable in an unknown country. And the only voice that they hear is the voice of Elisha. Elisha says, all right, guys, follow me. This is what you're going to do. Everyone put your hand on the soldier, the person in front of you. Take off all your swords. Take off all your, and your daggers and put the, I see it there. Don't, don't make me. And they have to take all their stuff off. And, they, and these guys, they just go around and they follow Elisha. Elisha leads them right into the capital city of God's people. And when he does, they're defenseless. And all of God's people are surrounding this army. And the king of Israel says, can we kill him? And Elisha says, no, you're not going to kill them in peace. They're defenseless, but they've been warned. And so he prepared for them great provision. And when they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went back to their master, and verse 23 says, so the bands of Syria came no more into the land of Israel. The Syrians were like, yeah, I'm done with that. Every place I go, they already know what, it's a, this is a no-win situation. And so the king of Syria says, I'm no longer going to fight against the Israelites. Isn't that fascinating? Amazing story. Point number one. In a time where God's provision is plenteous, we see this, that salvation is an event, but discipleship lasts a lifetime. The king of Israel is a guy by the name of Jehoram at this time, and he experiences the deliverance of God in his life. He wasn't exactly the greatest guy in the entire world. In fact, he has a number of different problems. And to be honest with you, I don't know if he trusted Christ as his Savior. In it, to, he was saved, to put it in our New Testament terms. But I do know this, that God worked in his life in, a, in an amazing way, so much so that he experienced the deliverance of Almighty God. What we also see is this, is that that deliverance came from Elisha while he is in Dothan. While Elisha is just doing his stuff 
on a day-by-day basis. He's just living the way God wants him to live. The power of God is working in the process of obedience in Elisha's life. And as Elisha is just being obedient and living the life that God wants him to do, he's not doing these huge ups and downs. He is living a very temperate or moderate Christian life where he just does what God wants him to do on Tuesday afternoons and Thursday mornings and Saturday nights. Here's Elisha in Dothan. He is able to minister the wonderful work of God and disciple along this king named Jehoram. God wants Christians to live in obedience to him, not just on Sunday mornings, not just at a small group, not just once a month when we go out on outreach. God wants Christians to live the Christian life Tuesday mornings, Monday nights, Wednesday afternoons, Thursday afternoons, Saturday mornings, Friday nights. It's almost like God wants us to be a Christian 24-7, 365, because our salvation is everlasting life. It's eternal life. God didn't just save us on Sunday mornings. God didn't just save us on Wednesday nights. When God saves us, he saves us forever. And he deserves our allegiance to him on a day-in and day-out basis. God desires for us to live an authentic, real Christian life in obedience to him on a day-by-day basis. Here's Elisha. He's just doing his work, and the Lord reveals to him, uh, the Syrian guy is going to try to kill the Israelite guy. Yes, sir. Go tell King Jehoram not to go over behind the speaker. Why? Because the uh, Syrian king's back there. Yes, sir, boss. He experiences deliverance. He is... Um, mentored by Elisha, and he enjoys the discipleship. I got to tell you this. The Christian life is the best life to live. There is purpose to the Christian life. There is power in the Christian life. The Bible tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. There is pleasure in sin for a season. You can do what is wrong. I can make poor choices, and I can live averse to the things of God. But I got to tell you this. There is love. There is joy. There is peace. There is gentleness. There is goodness. There is faith. There is temperance. The Bible says against such, there is no law. The wonderful thing about living in discipleship to the Lord where I grow on a day-by-day basis with him is that I get to draw closer to a holy God as I live in the light of my salvation. Salvation is an event discipleship lasts a lifetime. You will never come to a place where you are perfect here on this earth. If you're married in here this morning, say yes. Yes. Now, if you're married, probably you said a statement like this to each other at one point or another. You're perfect. No, you're perfect. We're perfect together. And you got married And sometime after that statement of perfection, you realize this. He's not perfect. (laughs) And, and, And guys, don't admit it out loud. She's not perfect either. And you know what? The truth is you're not perfect together. In fact, sometimes your togetherness has caused more complications than benefits. Are you a parent? More complications than benefits at times, right? So you never come in your Christian life. You will never be a place where I 
have arrived. I am now the model Christian. You're welcome. We never come to that place in our life because every day there's a chiseling, there's a, 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 a work of God in our life. Even the Apostle Paul said this, I'm the chiefest of sinners, that which I would I do not, and that which I do not, that I do. Uh, I, I want to do right, but I realize as I get closer to the Lord, oh my goodness, I am not perfect. You know what that process is called? It's called discipleship. And discipleship comes as we go to the second point, which is this. Continual communication maintains growth. In order for me to grow in my walk with God, I must invest continually. At the end of verse number 23, there are accolades, there are accomplishments, King Jehoram, what a stud, what a benevolent leader. He lets all of that people go, and Elisha and Jehoram stand hand in hand. Yeah, you better not come back here, you Syrians. And a process of time passes. Between verse 23 and 24 is a a span of time. I don't know if it's five years, I don't know if it's ten years, but there's a span of time between verse 23 and verse 24. In verse 24, the man who is resting in his accomplishments, Jehoram, and the ability to lead his kingdom, there is no communication between him and Elisha. And even though he had received a whole lot of accolades, problems are going to rise in his life again. And so there's a renewed animosity. Mrs. Brenniger, I'm so glad you're in church today. Thank you for being here and letting me uh, point you out in the middle of the church service. Ms. Brenniger had a ch- surgery a few weeks ago and this first day back in church. Praise the Lord that Mrs. Brenniger is in church. Praise the Lord with me that she's here today. And now she'll never come back because I embarrassed her in services this morning. Verse 24, the Bible says, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad... The word Ben-Hadad is not a proper name. It is a title, similar to the one we might use as president or congressman or senator. The leader of an Egyptian monarchy was a pharaoh. So the Syrians had that term, Ben-Hadad. You will see it multiple times. A new king comes into power in verse number 24. The Bible says, And it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, the new king of Syria, he gathered all his host and he went up. And he besieged Samaria. Now, this is what's fascinating. When the Assyrians are giving aggression in times past, the Lord is giving word to Elisha and the communication from Elisha to the king Jehoram of Israel. It's good. It's constant. There's a free flow of communication. But something has stifled that communication, and it doesn't appear that it is Elisha. Elisha's still in Dothan doing his thing. In the accomplishments... And the accolades, this young king has set himself in a place where it appears he no longer needs Elisha. He no longer needs to do those old tasks. I've grown past this. I've matured. God's already blessed me. Why would I do that again? I've been doing this for a decade now. I've been serving now for seven years. 
Why do I need to continue that investment? And so in a place where the communication was once free-flowing and there was a good exchange of ideals and information that has now become stifled, and catch this, when your communication with God becomes stifled, everything else in your life will start to shrink back as well. When you allow that which is primary in your life to be pinched off, that which is ancillary in your life will be pinched off as well. Oh, you can go without God for a little while, but it won't be well with you. Remember the Bible says you reap what you sow. One of the principles of sowing and reaping is that you don't put a seed in the ground and it pops up the next morning. It takes some time to manifest. And just as it does to the benefit, also it does to the detriment of when a person allows their communication with God to become shut off, to be pinched, or to be stifled. You'll notice this, that it affects every other area of their life. Maybe not immediately, maybe not in a week, but you will see the effects of that pinched communication very soon, and it will have dramatic effects. How's your communication with God? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? By the way, I understand I'm asking some of the best people in Las Vegas. You are people that came to church at an early service when you lost an hour of sleep. You are like super Christians. God must be really happy with us. I recognize this, that you're folks who obviously value communication with God. And I'm so honored that you would come to our services today, but I challenge you with this, that this 45 minutes to an hour of service won't sustain you all week. You need time with God Tuesday. You need time with God Wednesday. You need to be communicating to him, and you need him communicating to you. You need a Bible reading plan. One thing that helps me, I have the YouVersion app on my phone. Many times, rather than listening to the radio or a podcast or music, I'll turn the YouVersion app on my phone as I'm driving, and I'll listen to a chapter or two as I'm driving to a location um, for work or for for a meeting. I'll listen to a chapter of Scripture. This past week, I was reading in the Psalms. And I was reading the Psalms 120s, which is a really good place if you're trying to crush chapters because every psalm is like five or six verses. It makes you feel like you're a theologian. I'm just reading through that, and it's it's just rich talking about the goodness of God. You can talk with God. You should talk with God. In fact, it's a command, not just a suggestion. The Bible says that you are to pray, and I'm to pray without ceasing. Have you been asking God for stuff? Are you communicating with God? Oh, it's it's not just something that's optional. It's mandatory. If not, your walk with God will become stifled. It becomes squeezed out. Your life becomes sieged. And that's exactly what happens here. The king of Israel, who had this free flow of communication, becomes stifled. The Bible tells us in verse 24, it came to pass after this that Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his host and went up, and he besieged Samaria. He cuts off all the supply lines, all the trade routes. Nobody goes in and nobody goes out. We don't know if it was a week. We don't know if it was months. 
but all of the reserves and all of the supplies and everything in the Albertson shelves and everything at the Walmart, there are no lines because there is nothing. And the next few verses that I'm going to read to you are some of the most disturbing verses in all of the Bible. I'll read them without comment and let you just ascertain how bad the conditions are because when you pinch off communication with God, eventually it affects every area of your life. Would you follow along as I read maybe the most disturbing verses in the entire Bible? The Bible says, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and behold, they besieged it, until an ass's head was sold for fourscore pieces of silver, and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five pieces of silver. The king of Israel was passing by upon the wall. And there cried a woman unto him, saying, Help me, O Lord, my king. And he said, If the Lord doesn't help thee, whence shall I help thee? Out of the barn floors, out of the wine presses? And the king said unto her, What aileth thee? And she answered, This woman said unto me, Give me thy son, that we may eat him today. And we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and did eat him. And I said unto her on the next day, Give thy son that we may eat him. And she hath hid her son. And it came to pass when the king heard the words of the woman that he rent his clothes and passed by upon the wall. You had no kidding. It's even difficult to read those verses, much the less live those verses. To us, it seems like a far-off story, but it's a historical account. And everything in there was not just fiction or something from a Stephen King novel. It actually happened. And the straits are so difficult for the king that he says, we got to fix this. But rather than offering grace, he looks at vengeance upon Elisha. He goes down in a confrontation with Elisha to blame Elisha for all the things that has happened. And the Bible tells us while he's there, in verse 33, and while he yet talked with him, behold, the messenger came down unto him and he said, behold, this evil is of the Lord. Elisha says, I haven't done this to you. You've done it to yourself. It's a great lesson for us to learn in a society that loves to blame everybody else. The reason I act this way is because I have this condition. I was born this way. My parents didn't let me I grew up in this. The politician's name was this. I have a peanut allergy. <laughs> and a number of different things. We blame and blame and blame, and it was their fault, and it was my parents' fault, and it was their fault. And what's fascinating is that Elisha says, this isn't my fault. You are dealing with God. It's important for us 
to assess our life and say, am I good with God? Not just gloss over our sins and not deal with them, but to honestly ascertain, am I good with God? Am I forgiving? Am I confessing my sin? Am I merciful to others? Am I cheating people in business? Am I taking advantage of others? Am I messing around where I have no business messing around? Am I being a good steward of that which God has given me? Am I what God wants me to be? And rather than blaming this person or a boss or a politician or a family member, there's a wonderful truth here that Elisha says, it's you and God. It's appointed unto man once to die, and after this, the judgment. The Bible teaches us all of us have an appointment, and that appointment is that you and I will stand before God face to face one day. And on that day, you're not going to be able to blame Las Vegas, and you're not going to be able to blame the condition. You're not going to be able to say, well, you made me this way, or you did this to me. On that day, you are responsible to God for each one of your life choices. Isn't that fascinating? So with that understanding, we recognize this, that prayer and confession unleash the power of God. Well, if I'm not right with God, what do I need to do? Do I need to go out and make $10,000 and donate it to my favorite charity? No. Well, if I'm not right with God, what do I do? Do I need to do push-ups for Jesus? No. Do I need to join the military? No. What do I need to do? So beautiful. Confess it. Lord, it was wrong when I did. The Bible says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Isn't that beautiful? You do not have to carry the weight of your sin out of this building. Nobody does. I messed up with that marriage. Yep. Well, what are you going to do about it, God? If you ask me, I'll forgive you. Really? I messed up raising my kids. I messed up that awesome job opportunity. I was lazy. I drank myself into a stupor. I, I spent my money where I shouldn't. God, what, I was wrong. Okay, I forgive you. Let's work on this together now. Or else you can keep rowing that boat by yourself. And so many people just row that boat by themselves, but prayer and confession unleash the power of God. It starts when we admit our failures. Rather than condoning and excusing sins, when we admit a failure in our life, we come to God, he gives forgiveness, and God's forgiveness is rich, and God's forgiveness is powerful, and God's forgiveness is unconditional. What do you mean by that? There's no sin that God will not forgive. Isn't that wonderful? If you've sinned something that God cannot forgive, that that means your sin is bigger than Jesus' death. Oh, There's nobody here who's sinned more than Jesus can forgive. We admit failure, we seek forgiveness, and then we live by faith. What's faith mean? Believe God and obey him? Well, I still have bad feelings about it. Oh, you don't live life in your feelings. Because if you live life in your feelings, when that alarm clock went off an hour earlier today, you stay in bed. Why? Because they stole an hour of sleep from me. Curse you, politicians. If you live by feelings, you're not in church today. I'm talking to people who know how to live by faith. It's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. And sometimes Satan will just bring up, you failed, you failed, you failed, you failed. 
and if you live by feelings, you will always be messed up. Christians who are mature and growing with God have good communication with God. They live by faith, which means this. I believe God and obey him. Did God forgive my sins? Yes. I don't know if I feel forgiven. Should I have a feeling? Should there be a burning in my bosom? Should the hairs on the back of my neck stick up? Is that, should I feel forgiven? There is no feeling of forgiveness. There's the faith of forgiveness. The word of God says when you ask, he gives forgiveness, and so you walk out saying, I believe God forgave me. Awesome. Awesome truth. You live in faith. Last thing is this. The word of God is always the ultimate authority. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you say. The word of God is always the authority because three years ago, you're in famine. Today, you're in a feast. Who knows what Monday will be, right? Who knows what's going to happen in the stock market tomorrow? Do you? I don't. Oh, we could get on CNBC and we could watch Mr. Wonderful talk about this is going to happen with all of this. Who knows what's going to happen in the stock market tomorrow? Why? Because times change. Things change. Circumstances go up and down. The word of God is immutable. So I must learn to trust Christ in a vastly changing culture. They come to Elisha and say, you're the problem. He says, no, I'm not the problem. You and God have a problem. You better work it out with God. But let me tell you what's going to happen tomorrow. If you remember, on that day, they are selling dove's dung. I don't mean to be inappropriate, but it's pigeon poop. And they're walking around. There's people selling, buying, and consuming for lunch. Pigeon poop. King James is a little bit more nice. Dove's dung. And then there is literal cannibalism happening in the city. There's no way out of this. Look at what the Lord says through Elisha. In verse 1, then Elisha said, Hear ye the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord, Tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour, stuff that you can make bread and you could have uh, peanut butter sandwiches on and you could have uh, turkey sandwiches, not ham sandwiches because you're Jewish. But tomorrow about this time shall a measure of fine flour be sold for a shekel and two measures of barley for a shekel in the gates of Samaria. Hey, tomorrow you're going to have more food than you know what to do with. <laughs> you're so dumb. Verse 2, Then the Lord on whose hand the king leaned, the right-hand man of the, of the king of Samaria, the one who the king would literally lean on, he says to Elisha, If the Lord would make windows in heaven, if he was just like a whoop, drone delivery from Amazon, Behold, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, might this thing be. That's never going to happen. Like, even if God would just open up the windows of heaven and food would start falling out, there's no way that they would sell corn and barley and wheat for just a few pennies on the dollar when they're ransoming their life savings just to get some pigeon poop. In verse number three, in verse number two, and Elisha says, Behold, thou shalt see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not eat thereof. 
Meanwhile, back at Samaria, verse number three, scene change. If you're watching a television show, scene change. Back to the gates of Samaria. There's four lepers. And the four lepers are sitting around outside of the gates of the Samaria. They have no work. They, have no, they don't even get the pigeon poop for crying out loud. It's really bad to be a leper. And they're sitting around saying, what do you want to do? I don't know what you want to do. I don't know what you're going to do. They look at their options. Option number one, we stay here. What happens with option number one? We stay here, we die. Option number two, let's go into Samaria. We go into Samaria. Option number two, we die. Option number three, we could go out there where all of those Syrians are and we could surrender and there's a high probability that we will die. Option number one, die. Option number two, die. Option number three, more than likely, die. Good evening, Wesley. I'll most likely kill you in the morning. It's just a bad situation all over. Let's go with option number three. Option number three, they go out there. Can you imagine these four lepers? If you read through the scripture, it's such a wonderful account of scripture. The Bible tells us these four lepers with a white flag, we surrender, you got us, amen, you got us, you got, we're sorry, we we surrender, We we surrender, and they come to the outermost camp of the Syrians, and when they come up to the first tent, hello, hello, they knock on the tent, it doesn't sound like that, because when you knock on a tent, it sounds like this. But for dramatic effect, I use the pulpit. <laughs> Hello? Hello? And they peek inside, and when they peek inside, we surrender! There's a whole golden corral. Like, oh my goodness, oodle lally. They walk in there, and they start to gorge themselves. <laughs> pass some of this, pass some of this. Mm, this is kind of crunchy. Oh, that's my finger. <laughs> they were lepers. And so there's just... <laughs> Just, uh, all right, get that back. And they gorge themselves. They're just having an amazing meal. I'm like, I wonder what's in the next room. And they go over into the next tent. When they go over into the next tent, it's not just food. There's desserts and all sorts of every type of delicacy. And they gorge themselves. And about halfway through the dessert, and they're oh, oh, I've never eaten so much in my entire life. One of the guys says, it's not good what we're doing here. That whole city over there, they have no food. We should go tell them. Yeah, you're probably right. I imagine they load up some duffel bags and backpacks and they come to the gates of the city. (laughs) Hey, there's food out here. What? There's food out here. And they open up the backpacks and wow. Word goes to the king. The king can't believe it. He sends out a a little brigade of spies, and as they spy, they find out all of the clothes of the Syrians are littered across the desert, and their shields and their swords and all of their armament. And it was as if in the middle of the night they fled for their lives, and that's because God sent a sound that there was a mighty army descending upon them. And in their haste and in their fear, the Assyrians run barefoot and naked through the desert away from that place because God had sent a deliverance to Samaria. The word of God said it would happen. And when God says something, you can always trust Christ. Well, we don't know what's going on. Maybe it's a trap. 
It doesn't matter if it's a trap. I'm tired of eating pigeon poop. Let's go. The Bible tells us they line up in an orderly fashion. And the guy who said, if God were to open the windows of heaven, it would never happen. He stands there at the gate. He starts to align them. All right, let's first, first of all, alphabetically, can you imagine the rush against the doors? Do you remember when Black Friday was a violent day? (laughs) Give me my TV. Do you remember when it was like that? Before cyber everything changed everything? It was worse than that because these aren't people looking for a good deal. They're looking for a good meal to save their life. And so he's, all right, line up. Aleph, Bet, Gamil, Dala, alphabetically. So I'm going to open. Please, no running. When I open up the gate, and the Bible tells us as soon as he opens up the gate, the hordes of people slam through that open crevice. And when they open it up, the Bible tells us that the man who saw the provision of God never experienced the provision of God because the mass and mob overran him and they literally trampled him into the ground as he died. It's wonderful that there were four lepers who would testify courageously about the provision of God. And in a time and culture where things change, you and I are commanded to trust Christ and to testify with courage. This week we put out flyers like this about Easter Sunday because a month from now we're going to tell this entire community and anyone that will listen, we don't just serve a religion, we know a God who is alive. Oh, he died, but he is risen. It's our job to testify with courage. It doesn't matter if you're in a famine. It doesn't matter if you're in a feast. It doesn't matter what the next month, the next year, or the next uh, administration, or the next decade hold out for us. God gives us four timeless principles. Principle number one is this. Salvation is an event, but discipleship is a continual process. In order to grow, you need constant communication. The Word of God does not Change. There are principles that God has given to us, and whether you're in a feast or whether you're in a famine, the work of God can go forward, and you can live the future today. In Tomorrowland, there are unchanging principles, and these unchanging principles don't amend just because there's a new leader in charge. And the greatest principle that we rest upon is that God's word is sure. And you can take it to the bank. You can write it down in black, underline it in red every single day of the week, 365, 24-7. This is the Word of God. So live in obedience to the Word of God. Communicate with God through His Word. Spend time in communion with Him. Grow as a disciple and expect to see His provision, whether it's in feast or whether it's in famine. We are to testify courageously. Share that message with somebody this week. Father, we thank you for your Word. In the time together today, we pray you'd use it for your glory. Encourage us to be the men and women you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We hope that message was an encouragement to your heart. Now for weekly updates and for information about Liberty Baptist Church, be sure to follow us on Twitter and like us on Facebook at LBC of Las Vegas. Well, that's it for today. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, God bless.